0: Hello and welcome to Lawrence Fork in Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake.
1: And I'm Kristen, and today we're going to interview co-owner Amy Pope from Repetition Coffee. All right, welcome to episode two. Number
0: two. Thank you, everyone, for the huge support on Facebook and, and listening to our podcast. We uh, were really excited to see, you know, we put this out there with the first episode of kind of the hope that uh, people would want to listen to it, and it's definitely shown. We've really, really appreciated all the like and likes and support um, on Facebook. I know a bunch of you have shared this.
1: Whether on social media or just in real life, um, which is also good.
0: Yeah, there is a world outside of social media. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, we, we really, really appreciate that. and It's kind of, you know, given us, given us some momentum, too, to kind of keep, keep things going. I'm really excited, um, you know, to bring the episode to you today.
1: It's been really fun to, you know, sort of get to know um, the people behind some of our favorite places in town, which is, of course, you know, the whole idea behind the podcast. But for us, it's been really fun to, you know, realize that and get to... Um, talk with you know some people about some of our favorite things about Lawrence, um, or at least the food scene about Lawrence. There's lots of other things to love about Lawrence. But um, yeah, it's been really, really fun.
0: Yeah. And uh, just a reminder for everyone, it is February right now. And as those of you in Lawrence know, it is the best of Lawrence voting time up until the end of February. So you know, if you're so inclined and you uh, like what you're hearing here, we are on the ballot there for Best Podcast, uh, so definitely get, log in there, and, and we would appreciate your vote. We, uh, we hope we can uh, get some votes and at least get a, help also get our name out there.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Make our presence known.
0: So today we're talking with Amy Pope, one of the co-owners of Repetition Coffee, a micro roastery of delicious coffees based right here in Lawrence, Kansas. Amy welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me.
1: We love repetition coffee It's abundantly clear that coffee is a passion for Amy and her husband and co-owner Ryan Pope and each bag of coffee They offer is both deliciously roasted and responsibly sourced. So Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself Are you from Lawrence originally? No, I'm actually from Topeka,
2: Kansas uh, And Ryan is from Olathe. So this is sort of our middle meeting point
0: (laughs) So how'd you guys well, how'd you guys meet then? Did you did you meet each other and then start getting into coffee, or did you meet each other along the way?
2: Ryan and his brother Rob um, owned Bourgeois Pig for multiple years before I ever met Ryan, so already sort of involved in the coffee game as well as booze and wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Ryan through a best friend. I'd been traveling abroad for almost 10 years and came home, and best friend picked me up and met Ryan on that same
3: home trip so
2: yeah
0: so then what brought you what brought you to coffee then I mean obviously he was he was involved in it but I guess you we
2: were involved with it um yeah at the bourgeois pig for a long time before we ever like delve into roasting Mm -hmm. but I had done a international relations program in Paris and when I went to Paris to do my uh, master's program Ryan was bartending in baristaing all around Paris. Mm. And he started to barista under Gloria Montenegro. It's a name that's really popular in coffee. She was Mm. the Guatemalan ambassador to France for multiple years and Mm. then became sort of the the queen or the mother of specialty coffee in Paris. So we were there during the specialty coffee, like coffee revolution. There's a book about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, So he was working and learning to roast under her Um, working in the coffee shops, and we literally thought about opening a roastery in Paris. And kind of home roots brought us back after my graduation. We came back here, and it was much easier to start a small business Mm -hmm. with all the friends and family that you love and a community that can support you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Lawrence is really good for that sort of thing. Um, Were you guys one of the first coffee roasters in Lawrence? I know there are a few here now, but I'm not real sure on the timeline for other people, so... There was um,
2: another really small one, like in North Lawrence, they were roasting and doing tea, and they've since like closed their doors. They asked if we wanted to buy at the time that they were closing their doors. Um, and I think there was another that was, you know, kind of on the rotation in downtown Lawrence. But mm-hmm. we were the first ones that were sort of opening our door for public tasting and specialty coffee and sort yeah. of... Trying to attack the market on a bigger front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. And
0: What's the time frame of all that? So you were in you were in uh, France. Or what 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 years were you there?
2: Yeah, I started my master's in 2011 and uh-huh. I graduated in 2013. Yeah. Um, when we came back in 2013, um, my father was ill, so that was really one reason that we came back mm. to stay and not take that grandiose idea of roasting back yeah. to Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started roasting our garage, like in 2014, it didn't take very long for us to (laughs) six months later, we had that machine and we were in the garage and that was sort of getting our feet wet, if you will. And some of the initial coffees that we were roasting, we would bring to the pig and kind of test them on the market, but we wouldn't let anyone know that we were roasting them. We
3: oh,
0: uh, okay. Kind
3: of <laughs> blind or
2: secretly put them out there in the world. Yeah. Well, that's good blind
0: taste testing. Yeah, for sure. You
1: get
2: honest feedback that way. So yeah, yeah, we were pretty sure if we said it was ours, people would tell us what they thought we wanted to hear. Right. right. And so that was kind of how we started. And then, you know, I think at one point, the customer clientele, whatever base, was asking for the Mexico Chiapas, and we needed to roast 20 pounds. And our sample roaster only did one pound of coffee per batch. So Mm. also the name repetition a little bit came from the repetition of doing it in the garage until we needed to buy a bigger roaster. Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) I like it. So maybe for um, some listeners that aren't as familiar with specialty coffee, can you just talk a little bit about why... Um, you know, good quality beans matter um, Mm -hmm. and why, you know, drinking your coffee close to the roast date matters, um, different brewing methods, stuff like that. Sure. So I think the big thing about specialty coffee is that
2: we try to bring out the, like, inherent enzymatic traits of the coffee. Um, So what I mean by that is... We're always looking for coffees that have wonderful flavors that we don't need to over roast to sort of like disguise or mask whatever was um, in the bean. We want to highlight that. Mm -hmm. But the other traits, especially coffee that um, I think can be overlooked sometimes in bigger markets is the transparency behind specialty coffees. Mm -hmm. So the clientele that we work with really want to know the story behind the coffee. And never do I buy a coffee just for the story alone. But I do always go searching on the market for the really great story. Um, Every copy that we can find that is the most direct, the fewest people in the supply chain that are going to pull money from the farmer and the Mm -hmm. pickers because none of the cups of coffee would exist if it for the farmer right <laughs> yeah,
1: gotta right. come from somewhere yeah. Yeah. yeah so for
2: me it's those two things it's a matter of uh, transparency and quality
0: and then tell us about so you mentioned your your roasters you know from with my engineering background I always that always fascinates <laughs> me that the equipment yeah. you use and all that so I mean you started out with a, a, a smaller you said a one pound roaster
2: yeah that? so some people start out in their kitchens on a skillet or they start out with a popcorn oh. maker really? I've oh. also heard of that huh. um when i was just in africa people are doing it in skillet over an open fire so there's multiple ways to roast coffee Hmm. we started with a u.s roaster core roaster and we can do anything from 150 grams to one pound okay so it's 150 to like 465 or whatever that that cream edge is yeah and that's a really beautiful way to ask around for very small samples and still be able to taste the world taste Mm. all of Africa taste, you know, eight samples from one importer and then make a selection. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't imagine doing the business that we do without a sample roaster.
3: Um,
2: it was a very expensive investment upfront, but it was also a way to confirm that what we were jumping into was actually a passion that we were willing to, to drive and put the time and the hard work behind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, The commitment after the smaller roaster and when we realized like, all right, we're going to do this thing, we're going to call it repetition. Um, Mm -hmm. We invested in a Dietrich IR12 and Mm -hmm. the IR12 part means it's a 12 kilo roaster. So Mm -hmm. max capacity should be 24 pounds. Um, we never roast 24 pounds, (laughs) 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 but that roaster, uh, comfort zone is anywhere between five and 21 and for each coffee that we have we usually have a small medium and large profile like batch Mm -hmm. profile so Mm -hmm. meaning that we'll make slight adjustments if we're roasting obviously five pounds roasted is way different than roasting 20 pounds Mm -hmm. Uh, you can equate that to anything in the kitchen (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs)
0: and uh so what kind of medium does it use too for roasting is it just is it uh you know gas heated and then it just you know yeah good
2: question so both of them are gas um the sample roaster we liken often to a motorcycle so like any Mm. adjustments that you make on our sample roaster you immediately feel it so you rub the gas you feel like everything speeds up um and the bigger roaster for us is like navigating a ship at sea mm-hmm. literally you have to be thinking ahead of time mm-hmm. you have to be watching like rate of rise the the temperature the exhaust temperature um the bean temperature in order to sort of navigate through the roast with anticipation
0: hmm. huh. oh,
1: that's, that's cool it must take a lot of practice a lot of repetition <laughs> a lot of <laughs> yeah. repetition yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally. Because
0: I guess the the interesting part, I guess you can't tell until until you've finished, right, how
2: how it came out. (laughs) And when you're doing it, like, we uh, will buy a coffee and roast, you know, 100 grams. We'll determine we want to buy it. Then we'll get the coffee in-house. We'll roast five pounds, like, with some sort of anticipation of Mm -hmm. how that coffee will behave and how we'll we'll like it. Um, So there might be, like, a few dial-in roasts with five pounds, and like you said, you don't know until... The roast is complete yeah. if that was the profile you're looking for or not. Hmm. Hmm.
0: And, and you mentioned buying the beans and all So where, where do you get your beans from? You know, I know you get them, uh, how do you, how do you get them over here obviously and get them to you?
2: Yeah. Good question. So, um, as the green buyer for repetition, yeah. um, I'm trying really hard to establish, uh, deeper and more loyal relationships with farmers, um, importers and exporters. So it's really beneficial for me to go to source um, because I can see more directly the, all of the links in the supply chain. I can determine if I feel like we're, it's a social, socially responsible supply chain. Um, So with each origin, I sort of have a different method of of buying and my loyalty is sort of origin based. Mm -hmm. So to kind of break that down a little bit, When Ryan and I got into coffee, um, the friends that we made in Paris were mostly Brazilian. Mm. And when we very first went to the Specialty Coffee Association, Ryan was actually working for the Brazilian Specialty Coffee Association. Mm. Um, Our very first direct trade account came from Brazil. So there's like the story of our very most direct. And because of that, I don't buy Brazil outside of that farm Mm -hmm. unless we bought short. Yeah. So oh, yeah. every year we go, um, it's a really beautiful story. Love to like shine some more light on those guys later. Mm-hmm. But, um, then some of the other stories, like I work with cafe imports for our Colombian origin. And the reason I do that is they, they've been there for 25 years. They were there when there was still a lot of conflict in the coffee growing regions. Mm-hmm. So they've established relationships that I can't establish overnight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it really helps to know who your allies are and Mm -hmm. who who can help you through that and who has the deepest, strongest connection to the people that are doing the thing that you want to align with. So in Colombia, for example, our coffee is um, from Cauca, and it's a female group called Amaca. And they were actually sort of referenced in the recent peace treaty for sort of showing the way that coffee could be a replacement crop and a road towards peace. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, for me yeah. that's a story that um, you know, there's a lot of power behind that story. And it's a story that's developed over the last fifteen years. And I'm happy that I'm able to jump in on it. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so recently I was in Kenya and Uganda and able to visit some of the farmers that we work with there through Crop to Cup. So again I'm working with an importer that has a relationship in Uganda. Um, They were working with the UN and they moved to Uganda. Mm -hmm. Um, Jake, one of the owners there, in order to do like a waterworks project. And that was 15 years ago. So everybody has sort of their own story in coffee. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us have a passion for that product, but how we got there Is a very different story. Mm. And so you just have to sort of like find your allies, utilize them. And if you don't think of coffee as like a really big community, I think you're missing the point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a couple examples of the different pathways that I find the coffees that we're looking for.
1: Yeah. Your most recent trip was a pretty long one. How long were you there for? Yeah. So uh, last trip I was gone for
2: 23 days. Wow. Wow and you know lots of stars aligned on that trip yeah so we're at the farmers market here in Lawrence Kansas Mm -hmm. and through that connection we made contact with the Bowman Family Farm and Bowman Family Farm has a Ugandan farmer that's been living with them for the last year oh wow! Mm -hmm. and his family happens to do coffee
1: well there you go (laughs) yeah yeah.
2: and so he's come into the shop a few times and it's really beautiful to connect with Frank Um, for example, when Frank first came to the shop, he had never had his coffee uh, ground in a grinder or yeah. roasted on a roaster oh. or prepped by somebody, you know, at yeah. the end end of the supply chain. Yeah. So, um, on a personal level, I've been working with him on tasting coffees, mm-hmm. and he had sort of pitched that I should go and stay with his family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I talked to Crop to Cup about having this relationship. So that was sort of the initial beginning of that trip Um, I stayed with Frank's family I taught some cupping classes some quality control classes Mm -hmm. sort of urging farmers to know quality so that they could advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and then right after that fell onto a trip with crop to cup and visited uh, Bugisu and Bulago we currently have a coffee which we just roasted the very end of Mm -hmm. which will be cupped tomorrow on our table (laughs) from Bugisu so I got to meet that farmer a lot and then after that continued traveling with crop to cup to kenya and we have a coffee from kambu um yara estate the Gatatha farmers Uh so that coffee actually just recently got sixth place at roast ratings um in, in kc but so um yeah, I got to meet those farmers and hope to buy from them again in the future. But I also made new contacts with other farmers that were doing really great things mm-hmm. um, and met a beautiful taster, Q grader in Kenya, who is also tasting really great coffees that are going to be available to us cool. in the future. So,
0: well, Tell us a little bit more about some of those other trips. I think you mentioned like Brazil, the, the farms you yeah. worked with there.
2: The Brazil trip is um, through FAF. And I'll butcher the Portuguese, but it's Facenda Biental Fortaleza. Um, they have a really amazing story. i will try to give you the concise version of, mm-hmm. which is um, their family is sort of between Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Chicago. And the, fam- the family inherited the family farm, which historically was very, very big and did a lot of commodity coffee. Um, the mother, Sylvia, who is a fond (laughs) friend of mine Mm -hmm. um she wouldn't really take over the farm if they were not going to go organic so over the course of eight to 12 years they went from being a commodity farm um to being fully organic and they're sort of the trailblazers in brazil if you will right now on going organic so they do a thing called passive organic and active organic passive is just all of what the birds and the monkeys sort of pass around the seeds it grows kind of wild on the side of the hillside and active organic is where they're planting all the bananas and palm trees in between Mm -hmm. um we buy lots from them every single year it's my biggest purchase each year, this year, it's my biggest purchase of all time for repetition. Wow. <laughs> it becomes the base for our espresso blend and also the base for the cold brew blend. Mm. But they also hold up very well as single origin. So we work with a farmer there called Joel Hamilton. Mm. This was a featured coffee at 1900 Barker a couple of years back. Oh. Um, we also pulled espresso shots with Joao Hamilton at the Specialty Coffee Association mm-hmm. in Seattle a couple mm-hmm. of years back. So um, this actually is an origin for us where we'll get customers here in Lawrence that are asking you know, for specific farms. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> awesome. that's awesome. If the <laughs> Agua Limpa is back in stock, <laughs> if it's Joao Hamilton. So um, this one is actually being held up in customs it was supposed to be here at Christmas and oh, wow. it's now supposed to be here any day mm-hmm. um, but as a coffee buyer I'm also learning how to deal with
3: yeah the supply chain yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the unknowns and <laughs> <in> the <laughs> supply chain so
2: um, that's one of the the trips I look forward to every single year their yeah. their family you know just as much as they are friends at this mm-hmm. point um, we've been working together for a very long time um, they the housing and stuff that they put us up in is really beautiful. Lots of monkeys and stuff running wild. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah. It's always yeah. a really great getaway. Um, the other origin that I go to is Colombia, mm-hmm. and I have a real fondness for Colombia. Um, I studied, I don't think I mentioned, but in my master's international relations and peace studies. Okay. So I had done a lot of, you know, book type studies on Colombia and FARC and the, the conflict that happened there so um and i lived in spain for four years so Mm -hmm. to be able to travel south america spanish-speaking countries one is always a priority Mm -hmm. um to kind of keep that skill fresh (laughs) yeah but also um i can never get away that i'm still really curious and interested to stay involved on the international relations and kind of stay tuned into things that i studied in my past so um coffee is a really great vehicle for still studying you know kind of maneuvering through a lot of my old passions and studies. Yeah.
0: So now that you see, so you, you, know, you get all these different beans, how, how do you know, when you're, when you're there and you're, and you're purchasing them, how do you know what you're going to do with them? Do you, do you, do you have a plan or is it like you said, you gotta take, take some samples and play around with it? Or? Yeah.
2: We're young, right? Yeah. So I'm still <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. And it's terrifying sometimes to put in a large order and hope you had enough and I never want to have too much. And this year when I went to Brazil, I had some, you know, like confidence that I knew exactly what I was after. I was, mm-hmm. um, part of my buying strategy at Repetition is I do want to have some c- products that are consistent. Um, you know, we're at McLean's now for Espresso. We're at the bourgeois Pig. We have some clients in Kansas City. Um, we have demand for certain products and I want there to be consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do go with this idea of product replacement. I want to replace always at the same quality level, if not higher. Um, and then I get to play this fun jazz card yeah. <laughs> where I can just play jazz and I can find the best thing and I'll buy smaller amounts of it. So um, I've definitely gone from sort of hit or miss um, to toning and tuning in my buying strategy a little bit. And so usually when I go to origin, I know exactly what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. The problem with going to origin is that things don't always taste the same as they're going to taste here. Mm. Mm. A really great example for that is I was just in Kenya and Kenya coffees already have a really big acidity. Mm. And the coffees that I was cupping, they were like all the parchment was on them day before. So they were milled 24 hours before we tasted and they were roasted less than four hours before we tasted. Mm -hmm. And in my lab, we usually, they're milled at origin. They are at sea for, you know, X number of weeks or months. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, we roast them and then we cup them within 24 hours. So everything has just a little bit of time to chill out. Right. And in Kenya, wow, (laughs) (laughs) the acidity was so big, and it was sort of hard to see past that. So Mm -hmm. um, I have had that sort of like origin shock at each trip where Mm -hmm. I've gone to buy. Mm -hmm. um, The first time I went to Colombia, everything tasted like key lime pie. Mm -hmm. So I just (laughs) had to get past that initially. But Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I always go with an idea of, what I'm, tr- what gap I'm trying to fill or mm-hmm. what niche I'm trying to fill in my listing. Um, but kind of honing in or adjusting my palate is mm-hmm. always a tiny bit of a challenge for a second.
0: Yeah. You kind of have to envision what it, what, what is it going to taste like in a couple of months or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And chilled out, <laughs> yeah, and yeah.
2: you know, put through a Chemex or whatever, yeah, instead yeah. of like just the cupping table.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so then, yeah. So now that you have the beans, so what's the, what's the roasting process like for you? You know, do you, um, you know, how long does that process take? From you know, you've or, you've got the beans, and then now, you know, you, you try to turn or, turn it around in a, a couple of weeks, or is that...
2: yeah, it's a magical question. Yeah. Yeah. I think every roaster plays around with that to yeah. some extent. And sometimes, when you buy a bag of coffee that's super special, and you maybe spent um, an exorbitant amount on it, and you don't want to spend ten or fifteen pounds dialing it in, mm-hmm. you have to try a different way to do that. So. We've definitely taken coffees and put them through our sample roaster, so we could do a hundred grams. Mm-hmm. You know, like we hit it really hard, and we try to make it go really light. And we're gonna drop it at a lighter temperature, but we're gonna get there in a short amount of time. We used to do an exercise where it was like, we're gonna do it, you know, same temperature dropping, but like a lot faster or slower, mm-hmm. or like a longer temperature, and then we would throw all of those on a table, like an iteration of six different coffees. Mm-hmm. Um, with the sample roaster, we're able to do that and only use 600 grams Mm -hmm. and then that can sort of guide us in our roast process. So I think that the coffees that seem obscure or new to us, we'll like put them through the sample roaster do a blind tasting like that. And then sort of tune in from there. Like we'll start dialing in that maybe this coffee needs more development. The, you know, fast and low temperature wasn't as good as like the slower and like kind of elongated development time Mm -hmm. um so we do have that at our disposal but you also learn really well um a peru cusco at a certain altitude is gonna roast really similarly to the next peru cusco at that same altitude Mm -hmm. so Um, we also start to look at the altitude and density of the beans. We have moisture control units that we will look to see what the moisture density of a bean is, and then those things will start to inform us. So I think more over time, instead of playing this game of let's try six different roasts in the sample roaster and see how we can translate that to our bigger machine, Mm -hmm. um, we've actually just sort of done a little bit more like okay, this is a Kenya, same process, same altitude. Um, We're going to guess it's going to roast almost the same and then we'll hit there and then we'll kind of tweak Mm -hmm. from that. Yeah, Um, Coffees that are naturally processed roast differently than coffees that are washed. Mm -hmm. Coffees at a higher altitude different than coffees at a lower altitude. Um, Both Kenya, Colombia, also Ethiopia, coffees seem to like age really well Mm. um so we don't have to adjust very much with aging there are other copies, i would say that even though we're familiar with the roast will continue to tweak Mm -hmm. the profile as time moves on if they're on our shelf for you know longer than six months so yeah that's kind of like we used to play way more games of <laughs> sitting with the roaster, sample roaster, and kind of dialing things in. And now we might do that a couple of times and then throw a 5 pump batch in based on what we already know about sort of that origin and that altitude yeah. and that process.
1: So can you talk a little bit about the... Cupping process that you do, maybe describe it for someone who doesn't know what it is, because I know that I did not know what it was until maybe (laughs) a little over a year ago when I went to one of the ones that you guys host for the public. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe just sort of talk about that for people who might not know.
2: Yeah, so the the cupping table we often call is like the brains of the operation. It's where like uh, we all come together and we determine, you know, like what's good and what's not good, like, and we try to do it very diplomatically. So cupping table, for example. Um, the standard in SCA, that's Specialty Coffee Association, is to put out five cups. And then there's a rigorous you know, regimen of when you pour the water, the temperature of the water. Um, but essentially, the cupping starts with smelling the coffee dry. Mm-hmm. It's ground. You smell it within 15 minutes. You kind of make a note initially of all of the different fl- the aromas that you got from that coffee. Um, next, you pour some hot water on it. And, and that hot water sage is my favorite. It's like the caramelization of the roasting process comes out more. So you smell, lots of, you smell a lot of marshmallow and chocolate and caramel, um, dulce de leche, like all mm-hmm. this yummy stuff kind of comes through. Uh, we crack it and then we go through and taste. And it's a really disgusting slurping event if you've never <laughs> been to one. Yeah. And if you have, like, you totally get that. Like, this yeah. slurp is all about sort, of, sort of aerating and aerating the coffee. Yeah, um, you want it to hit all the taste buds so that you can kind of get an idea. And then from there, it's a lot like a wine tasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of slurping and spitting, mm-hmm. and sort of taking notes. And the the better you get at it, the quicker you go. Is like always to your advantage. Cause if you spend too much time on a certain cup or a certain set of cups, you kind of get distracted and you can kind of lose track of everything. And guess what? If you drink too much coffee, like it's really hard to taste everything after. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you have to move through that process relatively quickly. Um, but I will say like to the cupping process, um, when we do a, a public one, it's usually not blind because we're not trying to trick anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually want people to understand the different terroir and like the different flavors that come from origin or from the variety of the bean or from the processing of the bean. Um, and we have done a lot of cuppings that target one of those things, whether it be like you know same coffee different process, mm-hmm. um, different varieties, or or even different varieties all grown in the same place. Mm. Um, But on a weekly basis, we cut for production. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like a quality control. Mm -hmm. But we also cut for buying, which is always blind. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also do triangulation, which is like for product replacement. So imagine that you had two cups of coffee on the table, the one that I have right now in stock, and then the one that we think is the best contender. Mm -hmm. And we'll do a couple of cups, add one, that's the oddball out, and the group has to try to find the oddball out and then decide if the two are the better or the oddball out is the better. Hmm. Um, if it tricks our group, it's a great product replacement. Yeah, And hmm. if it doesn't trick our group, we kind of have to go back to the dialing board and sort of see you know, what coffee hmm. we could use to possibly replace that product.
1: Yeah, because really, if it fools you guys, it'll definitely fool anyone else who's buying it and drinking it at home. <laughs> I hope or, so. <laughs> yeah, or in a coffee shop, so yeah.
0: What's your favorite, you know, of all the, you know, you know air regions and all that, what would you say is your what your favorite to either roast or, ta- you know, drink of?
2: I have a couple of favorites, yeah, yeah. so um, I'm, like, a big sucker for Columbia, and part of it is I just always want to go back there. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, like, Complexity in a cup in most of life I want simplicity but in a cup of coffee I want like a big body sort of fighting with the big acidity or like in a Guji I want you know Ethiopia Guji I'm looking for like sort of an earl grey background with mm-hmm. like sort of peach notes and pine and jasmine mm-hmm. um, so it can even be like a thinner body I'm always looking for like complexity so Um, Kenyans and Colombians are really great at providing both of those things Mm. Um, for a few years in a row. My favorite coffee at repetition has been a Rwanda. We had it three years ago and Rwanda has a propensity to have this like potato taint Mm. um, that can, I'm not going to describe it well, but a burrow beetle can get inside and lay eggs. And then Mm -hmm. it's, you can't see it in right. the cherry, and you actually can't see it really in the green bean. Mm. They kind of tuck in and plant it. Mm. Um, and they're fighting that right now, but we did have that taint present a few years ago. And my very favorite is coffee. Mm. Mm. And one out of every 20 times we would go to brew it, you would grind it, and it would smell like a raw potato in the entire room. It would overfill a room. Oh, Weird. Really? Wow. So huh. I got scared, and I didn't buy it for a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And in the fall, the importer came back, and it was Red Fox. They were here in Lawrence to visit us. And um, Gabby Wright from Red Fox set up a table to see if I could find my coffee again. And it was blind, and I naturally gravitated to the Rwanda Kanzu Lot 9. And that's my favorite one right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of tend towards African coffees, and then in Central and South America, Colombia is definitely my
0: favorite. Do you find what what is your you know along that lines? What 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 probably sells the most for you too? Is is do you find that you know there are certain tastes? I I thought what was interesting is how you mentioned how the community in Lawrence is now you know people request certain farms or all that, which which is part of what you know part of the reason you know we we started a lot of this podcast was you know we do feel like the community here in Lawrence you know you have a you have a big pull of you know people love food or you know they're aware they're interested interested it. so how's that been you know being based you know not you know obviously starting out here and, and like you said, you started here because you had a good, good support group here, but is do you, so you really find that in the community, you get getting this great pull from, you know, all the tastes here.
2: And, 100%. Yeah. Um, so like, I think one of our biggest customers here is a community mark. And that's a pretty good statement mm. for the product we put out. Mm-hmm. It's a grocery store, but it's not just any grocery store. And um, we've just watched their sales like double and then quadruple. And all of that is, you know, validation of what we're doing in the product we're putting out. Um, they're pretty good at helping to keep our story alive and to make sure that the information about the coffees is available. Um, the biggest seller there, is usually the Brazil, which is not on the shelf right now because we're literally waiting for it any day <laughs> now. Um, but currently, the biggest seller there. So I would, I guess, I would just to rewind a second, mm-hmm. their biggest sell- sellers are sort of the crowd pleasers, which we'll call Brazil a crowd pleaser because mm-hmm. there's nothing crazy about it. There's nothing like savory about it. It's not too acidic. Um, the Brazils are usually very balanced, chocolatey, nutty, um, as well. The Guatemala is like that. Um, but then another one that's kind of been a surpriser is the Ethiopia coca that we have right now. It's a honey process coffee. Mm. Um, it's the biggest seller at the mark right now. And it's kind of a surpriser to people that are newer to specialty coffee. Um, any of the honey process and natural process shows so much fruit Mm. and, I think that that's sort of like catching on here in Lawrence right now. And we were really shocked and surprised to see that we were able to move Ethiopians as quickly as we were at Denmark. And I say that because they're so much more expensive just because of the difference in the supply chain. Yeah. Are there any
1: new coffees that are coming down your pipeline that you're really excited about? Yeah, so the ones that I'm super
2: excited about right now, I just bought a Burundi natural that um, I think is going to blow everyone's mind. I've never had a natural from Burundi before, um, so it kind of has all the African notes. I'm particularly careful about buying naturals. I don't want them to be overly fermenty. Mm. Um, This one definitely is not. It's more like on the port wine. Um, there's lots of tannins and yumminess there. So super excited to be getting that. Uh, it will be a very small lot. I only bought two bags. And apart from the Burundi would be the direct uh, origin Brazils that are coming in. Mm-hmm. And there are four of them, um, two of which are assigned sort of to blending with espresso, um, which could entirely stand up on their own, a single origin. But there was a particular lot that we split with Linea Coffee in San Francisco. It was only six bags, we each got three, and it's Sylvia Barato. And she's the owner, the woman that I made reference to earlier. So it's sort of her like side lot. And uh, when we tasted it across the board, everyone at the cupping table said rose and fudge. And those are two like really Mm -hmm. amazing notes to have in coffee.
1: Do you have a favorite way to brew coffee?
2: Yeah, I have a few of them. So at Repetition, we usually use the Cleta Wave. That's just a way to treat all of our coffees exactly the same. Mm. And it's um, kind of similar to our cupping table. So we are really boring there. We just use Cleta Wave. And at home, my favorite is Chemex. If I have the time for a pour-over, I like the clarity and the cleanness
1: of cup for a a Chemex. And otherwise, we just brew in a brewer. Do you and your husband, Ryan, do you guys have a favorite place to go out to eat in Lawrence? There's obviously lots of great restaurants here, lots of great coffee shops, too. But do you have a favorite place to go get a meal? We're spoiled here. Yeah, <laughs> we we have really have so are. many
2: friends <laughs> and so many collaborations as well. So, um, you know, like. Lawrence Beer Company is right in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can't even count how many afternoons we've wrapped up a roast and we've gone over to Lawrence Beer Company for a a snack and a beer, Mm -hmm. stuck around for dinner or a salad. that's where a lot of those collaborations come from. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, talk
0: about that a little bit. I know Lawrence Beer Company you've done like the cahoots, um you, you know, you guys roasted, you know, specifically for for their brewing process, right? Or that's correct. Yeah.
2: So we've had uh, three coffee beers so far, maybe mm-hmm. four. Uh the very first one was actually Free State. Mm-hmm. And Jeff D at Free State took the coffee beans uh sort of in a bag and then steep them in the brewed beer. Sort of the same as we would with like a tea bag. Um, at Lawrence Beer Company, I work with Sam McLean, and he had a couple of other ideas about how to do that. So the way that we work with Lawrence Beer Company is they brew the beer, they bring over sort of the the raw product before it's effervescent, um, and we brew coffee in multiple different ways, and we start measuring things out in little test tubes. <laughs> and we taste until we find the perfect, um, mm-hmm. you know, the perfect pairing. Um, so we've done with them Cahoots, which this was second year. Um, we're in pretty big production now. We're already in our third cycle of brewing Cahoots. This oh. is now, like, in local restaurants and local mm. bars, Um yeah, it's in bigger distribution. We also did a really special project that was the Imperial Aged Stout. Mm-hmm. So, Sam brewed a beer last January uh, that was an Imperial Stout, and then he threw it in bourbon barrels and aged it for nine months. And what came out of it was Black is All Colors at oh, Once. Okay. Oh, yeah. Which That's was really good. Yeah. Quite, <laughs> yeah, a pleasure of mine to be tasting on that beer and trying to find the, the right pairing for it. Mm-hmm. Um, It was thick enough and syrupy enough, as you guys both know if you tried it, Mm -hmm. that we could put quite a bit of coffee in that one. So on the Cahoots, we actually brew sort of through our Fetco brewer. It's a standard brewer, more of like a one to four ratio. So we're almost emulating espresso. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, With the Imperial Age Stout, we actually pulled espresso shots. So um, we pulled espresso shots to bring out the acidity Uh, And then we also did a cold brew to sort of bring out the chocolatey body. So um, each one of those beer projects is a different brew method, different coffee. uh, And it's been a really fun learning exercise and a really
0: great excuse to drink great beer.
2: Yeah,
1: that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's what we've loved about, you know, everything here in Lawrence. Every You know, the collaborations that happen everywhere. It's like you find, you know, it's like, yeah, it's whether it's your guys' coffee. You see you guys pop up everywhere. You're
1: doing so. like a brunch and pairing yeah. coffees with certain dishes or something. It's just really fun to see everyone's name all around town. You know, everyone working together to make really fun excuses to go out to eat. So. so some shout outs there would be like waffle
2: iron. Oh yeah. One of our very first um, mm-hmm. pairings. He would take all of the tasting notes from the coffees and then pair a waffle to mm-hmm. that. And we did a bunch of pop-ups like at Lucia and Port Fonda before yeah. it was Lark Affair. That was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. He came in and helped me set up a couple of tables to make them very beautiful with all of the fluffy marshmallow fluff and yeah. you know, sprinkles <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he's so um, fancy. And then, we also have done some collaboration like i said with free state and this weekend we're doing one with mclean's bakery on campus Mm -hmm. um they're doing a five course brunch and each one is paired with a repetition coffee so awesome yeah we're always very open to that sort of collaborative spirit Mm -hmm.
1: And we um, reached out on social media to some of the people that follow us on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, um, asking if they had any questions for you guys. And we did get one question, um, and it is what is the best way to store your beans? Yeah, uh, save it, don't save it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so I don't just mean to say that, and like um, you know, there's you can obviously store coffee for quite a bit longer than people believe, huh. and so. For me, if I'm going to buy coffee, I want to consume of it and share it with the people that I love.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I never freeze my coffee, so, you know, I'm not saying that it's not a good way to store your coffee, but for me, it's it would be buy regularly and just buy smaller bags. We actually reduced our bag size a while back to 10 ounces, mm-hmm. um, sort of because a lot of people were saying it was a big commitment to do a pound.
0: Yeah, you know, so you mentioned the cuppings. Um, you know, how frequently do you guys do those? Um, you know, it, for listeners here if they wanna get involved is the best way to find out, you know, following you guys on your, your page or it, Yeah,
2: it, thanks for asking. Yeah. We do the we do a public cupping once every month and mm-hmm. it's always on the third Friday. We do it like that so people can kind of remember and put it on their schedule. Mm-hmm. But I would recommend that people check us out either on social media or our webpage,
0: mm-hmm.
2: repetitioncoffee.com
0: how much coffee do you put out then? what's that
2: somewhere between three to 400 pounds a week. Wow. So, I mean, if you've ever been to repetition, we do it all. We bag our coffee. We, you know, we roast our coffee. We bag it. We print our own labels. Um, it's a lot to keep up with. And we're kind of looking for getting outside of our Tetris box right now because Mm -hmm. it's all feeling a little bit small, (laughs) but the, the small space and the low overhead has definitely helped
1: us to grow to where we're at right now.
0: That kind of forces you to be efficient probably.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, thanks so much again to Amy for talking with us today. Repetition's roasting facility is located at the corner of ninth and New Jersey in lovely Lawrence, Kansas. You can find their coffee served at several local restaurants and you can buy bags of their coffees at the Merck bourgeois pig, essential goods, McLean's market, the Kansas city whole foods and online from their website, They are also usually present at the Lawrence Farmer's Market with a coffee cart, so check them out. Also be sure to check out their website, RepetitionCoffee.com, for very helpful brew guides and follow them on social media for updates about upcoming events like the cuppings we were talking about and to follow them on their travels.
0: Yeah. So thanks again, Amy. It was really fun talking to you.
1: Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Lawrence Forking, Kansas. We had a great time chatting with Amy Pope of Repetition Coffee. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts.
0: Also, please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking, Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. Feel free to find our pages and like us and follow us. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it is February, uh, which means it is the best of Lawrence time. So please uh, go online and vote for us. We are on the category for best podcast. So, uh, yeah, we'd appreciate your vote.
1: And if you're a restaurant or a food business owner in town and are interested in coming on the show, just reach out to us on social media or email us at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We're always looking for new people to talk to and would love to have you on.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: We'll catch you next time.